Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 37. I am your host, Dan Holzman, recently back from China, where I was off doing a little bit of a juggling adventure, but now I'm back, once again hosting Drop Everything, with a very special, exciting guest for this episode, the one and only Paul Ponce. Now, if you were Spanish, you would say Paul Ponce, but as Norte Americanos, we would say Paul Ponce. No matter how you say it, this one is very special to me because Paul Ponce, in my estimation, is one of the greatest working professional jugglers today. And I don't say that lightly. Before we get to our conversation, let's thank our sponsors. First, starting with the IJA, International Jugglers Association. Don't forget, information about this great group can be found at juggle.org, including information about the 2017 festival to be held in Cedar Rapids, where I, Dan Holzman, the machine, will be festival director. Okay, speaking of Dan Holzman, the machine, let's also thank me by visiting my personal coaching website, braindrizzles.com. There I hold master classes, mentorships, career partnerships, all kinds of different situations for different performers who want to improve their position in performing and life. They come to me at braindrizzles.com. Okay, very excited, very interested to hear more about Paul Ponce. So, drop everything and get ready for Mr. Paul Ponce. Well, what a pleasure to have one of my favorite jugglers, one of the greatest professional jugglers working today, Paul Ponce. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Hello, Dan. Hi, everybody. I'm happy to be here. I'd like to start by talking a bit about your family background because I was one of those jugglers who came upon it when I was like 13 or 14, read a book, had never really experienced juggling or circus. But you come from a sixth generation circus family. Can you talk about your background and, and how you got started as a juggler? Well, that's true. I come from a sixth generation circus family and my father's a juggler and he was one of the first in my father's side of the family uh, to to dedicate most of his time only to, to juggling because the other members of the family, they did a bit of everything in the circus. And once you try a lot of things, you're not very good at one only. But my grandfather told my father, said, if you really want to be good at something, you have to dedicate and specialize in one discipline. And that's what my dad did. And he became quite good as a juggler and started started touring in South America, Europe, Asia, the, the U.S. And uh, since I was very small traveling with my parents, I started juggling when I was six. And at the age of seven, I started performing. And why do you think your father gravitated towards juggling as opposed to some of the other circus arts? I remember my father telling me that my grandfather told, told him that uh, it's the best thing you could do. You put all your props in a little bag and you can travel the world instead of doing trapeze or lion taming because my grandfather used to lion tame. He used to do, my grandmother used to do high wire. There's a lot of props involved in that. And he said the best thing to travel with is a little bag. <laughs> I, guess, I guess when you make a mistake in juggling, it's a lot more forgiving than if you make a mistake on the wire or with a, a giant cat. My father says that when you do a, a, a mistake in juggling, you, you, you look more silly than, than when you do a mistake on the wire, something more difficult. People go, wow, that's so difficult. But with juggling, it's more a comedy situation <laughs> when, you, when you drop one. Well, it, it hurts our ego a little bit, but it doesn't really hurt our bodies. <laughs> that's but true. it does give us a little bit of a, you know, a, a little bit of a come down. So. But now when you started out as a juggler, because I really feel that the jugglers who start this young have a real different feel and consistency. Like, like their juggling has a sort of a deep, deeper breath to it. They just seem more solid. How did your father start training you? Was there a particular practice regime you did early? Did he have a certain techniques that he, he passed on to you? Well, the funny thing is that my father's a juggler. My mother, uh, my mother is doing a crossbow act now. And, and at that time, she was doing a, a low wire act. But she was the one pushing me to practice. I remember she put me, I was six years old, in front of the sofa, gave me three balls and said, okay, Paul, you got to practice. And my dad said, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, you have to practice. But it was mostly my mom pushing me to practice. And how did that happen? Well, I had to do maybe half hour a day, maybe 20 minutes a day, little by little. And next to the sofa was easy because being small, when you drop one, I didn't have to bend over, just picked it up from the sofa. <laughs> And did you like it right away? I mean, when you when you did it, did you feel like, oh, it, this is something I have to do, or was it something you wanted to do? It was uh, it was something that I was able to do quite easily in the beginning. To do three ball wasn't difficult, but then I saw that it took a lot of practice and perseverance when you wanted to get better and better 
doing other things. And what really helped me was that, okay, I started doing three balls, three rings, and a little bit of three clubs when I was seven. And the producer of the Scottish Opera, where my parents were performing when I was seven, saw me practicing backstage and said, oh, we have to put him in the show. And once they put me in the show and the opera, and that was my debut, I wanted to practice myself. It wasn't like my parents telling me, Paul, you have to practice now. It was me. No, I, I don't want to look back. I want to practice. So that was the motivation, being on stage. So was it, was it a fear of looking bad on stage? Or was it this, that when you got out there, you just, you just enjoyed it so much that you felt like, oh, this is a home for me? I think it's a little bit of both because you, you do want to look good. You don't want to look bad. So you practice, but also you love the way that people uh, cheer and applaud. So that, that really gets you. That really gets you going when you practice. And, and I find that also with my children now that they're also performing. And so that, that so that's part of it, that bug that you get, that audience feedback was mm -hmm. very exciting for you and very motivating. It was. And right after that, that was when I was seven. And just the, a year after that, when I was eight, we, we came to perform with Ice Follies and Holiday and Ice uh, touring in the U.S. And Kenneth Fell, the producer of that show, he and Irving, his father, they saw me again practicing and, and they saw me that I could do it also on ice uh, with my dad and they said no we have to put him on stage on ice as well so the following year when I was eight I was doing the same thing we were touring the U.S. the U.S. and I was also performing in the evenings with my parents and in the daytime I was practicing now your father his name is Victor is that correct Victor Pons yes yes now he he's a he was very well known or at least that's how I knew him first as a mm -hmm. skater on ice Yes, and I saw his act quite a few times on video when I was coming up as a juggler. Now, can you tell us what is different about skating on ice? Obviously, you're covering a great distance, you're, the movement, but how would you qualify what's different on ice than it is on the, on the stage? It's funny. When you start practicing on ice, you have to, your brain goes, okay, I'm juggling and I'm skating at the same time. So that's the first thing. Once you get into that rhythm, the practice becomes uh, natural. You're practicing and you're skating. What I find that felt fantastic was after those four years touring with the ice show and juggling and ice skating, when I went back on stage, I felt so free because mm -hmm. on stage I can forget about my feet and just concentrate on my juggling. And that really improved it. <laughs> I could see that because you've taken away this more difficult element of, of the wind and the cold and probably the, the wet. If, if you drop, would the props get slippery? They, they do, but you know, the, the way the, the clubs are made, the, the handle never touches the floor. So that, that's the lucky part. Well, plus, I assumed you dropped, which probably is not even a great assumption. Do, do you they, keep track of your drops? Are you someone who has like a notebook who, who tracks if they make a mistake? Yeah, no, I would go crazy if I have to think about all the, the drops. And the way I practice is I practice as a, as a technical juggler when I practice alone. Mm -hmm. And when I go on stage or on, on the ice, in that case, um, I, and that, that, that's the thing that has evolved up to now. I go on stage as an entertainer who happens to juggle. So my main focus is on entertaining. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's one thing I like really about you is that when you juggle, and I don't see this with lots of jugglers, you're telling a story. Like your face and expressions are equally important to you as the juggling. I can see that in your work because there's always something going on I'm having a, a natu uh, sincerely a lot of fun on stage. When I'm juggling, I'm enjoying myself very much because the audience that is that is looking at me, that is watching me, is probably the first time that they're seeing me, and maybe the last time. So that's my only chance, my only opportunity to give them give them my best show, and that's I think one of my biggest motivations to go on stage every day. Because sometimes you know we're human, and oh, we have a show every night or two shows, and to get motivated before the show is very hard. But once I hit the stage and I look at the audience that they're looking back at me, that's my biggest motivation. I said, oh my God, I haven't seen these faces and they yeah. probably haven't seen me. So right. good motivation. <laughs> and how do you think people in general perceive juggling and jugglers? Like when you tell people you're a juggler, how do they perceive it? And how does that change after they see you work? Uh, here in Europe, because this is where I mostly work, they have a high esteem of jugglers. They, especially in Germany, they they really understand and 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 they understand that there's a lot of uh, practice and a lot of work behind uh, a juggling act. So there's a lot of appreciation. So I'm very comfortable saying, "Oh yes, I'm a juggler. I work here or there. It, I never have a problem with that." 
Yeah, I think here in the States, if you tell someone you're a juggler, the assumption is much different. They feel like, oh, will you do my kid's birthday party? Or, or mm-hmm. you know, what street corner do you work on? So yes. that's something we always fight against. That's why I am so have so much admiration for people who I believe represent juggling so well. We had uh, the show America's Got Talent, which I know mm-hmm. you and your family were on last year. Yes. And did very well. But this year we have uh, Victor Key and The Passing Zone both on the show. Yes, yes, yes. And I believe uh, they, they both represent juggling so well and in such different ways. Yes. Also show the people the diversity and the excellence that mm-hmm. a juggler can present. Oh, totally. I haven't had the opportunity to see uh, the show, but I've heard from comments and friends that they're doing really, really well. And I'm so happy to hear that because, as you mentioned, sometimes they, they, don't, uh, they take for granted the, the hard work that's behind uh, a juggling act. And sometimes they seem as if it's like, okay, if you drop, it's all over, which is, <laughs> which is a pretty high standard. They don't go to a singer like, okay, if you miss one note, it's all mm-hmm. over. So I think we're kind of held to a higher standard because our, our, our mistakes are so obvious. Mm, true. Yes, you can't hide them. <laughs> and how was your experience overall? Because I know some people here are a bit leery or, or even afraid of going on that show. What was your mm-hmm. experience like? A few years now, a few years they've been asking me to do these talent shows here in Europe and elsewhere. And I've, I've always said, well, I'm busy or I haven't had the chance or I really don't want to do it. There was always an excuse, excuse for that. And when uh, NBC got in touch with, with us, it was actually that they wanted my mother and me to do it together. And I said, well, what is, what is your idea? And so, well, we want you to compete against each other because we think that's going to be uh, a really cool. And I said, well, I, I usually don't do a talent shows, but let me talk to my mom. And so I talked to my mom and my mom said, well, and she was between contracts at the time. She had a few offers and nothing signed yet. So she said, listen, I, I think the American's Got Talent would be good for me because I haven't, I haven't worked in the States for a few years and it would be a good exposure. And I said, okay, mom, well, if you want to, uh, I'll, I'll be at that time. The, the dates that they gave me, I was performing in Cancun in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so I told them, listen, I'll be in Cancun. I have only these days off. And uh, if you can fit the schedule that I could do it on that, those dates. And they said, yeah, no problem. So they fixed it, that we were able to fly my mother from Barcelona and they would fly me from Cancun to do that, that TV show. Well, and, and you, so can't, you can't turn down your mom, right? When your mom asks, no, you, you can't say no. Yeah, and we, we had such few opportunities to work together. Uh, one time we, we did a show together three years ago in, in Hamburg for four months. And it was fantastic mm. because my mom was in the same show doing her crossback. I was doing the juggling act. And on the matinee shows, my three children would perform. And so they had three generations on stage, and, and it was really good. The, the producers were so happy uh, of the effect that that would give, and, and ourselves, also the family, we were, we were overwhelmed, really happy. If we ever had the chance again, I told my mom to work again, I would never turn it down. So that was one of the main things. Well, if we have that opportunity, I was in Cancun, I wasn't seeing my mom, and if they're going to fly us together to L.A. and then to New York to be together, why not? <laughs> and do your parents have some kind of a picture in their attic that, that ages while they don't? Because they both look fantastic. I mean, they look so uh, professional yeah. and polished. And I don't want to say what their age might be, but uh... no, but they're they're doing really good. I guess it's because they're they're performing all the time, and now they're they're doing an eighteen month contract in Israel, and they're really happy. And uh, yeah, and they're all, we're, we we are booked again, once again together for two thousand eighteen to two thousand nineteen here in in Spain in this show that I'm working now. They're doing a new production show. And it's a beautiful theater here in Benidorm. It's a 1,200-seat theater that people have dinner and watch the show. And it's very beautiful. And the whole production in 2018 will be with my mother and myself. So we're very excited to do that. Oh, it sounds fantastic. What a great opportunity. Uh, Congratulations on that. Uh, Thank you. And then when was the first time? So you started with your family. You toured with your family. When was the first time you stepped out on your own and took your own solo contract? Before that, when I was eight, we, we were with the Ice Follies and Holly and Ice when I was eight. And then the following year, when I was nine, we were playing the, the West Coast of the U.S. And we were in Oakland, at, not in Oakland, in uh, the Cow Palace in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Or is well, it Oakland? in my neck of the woods. Yes. And uh, I remember that my father, he had a problem. He couldn't work. So Irving Feld asked my mom, well, can your son do a four-minute act? And my mom said, yes, yes, of course he can. And I said, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the right answer, right? When in show business, yeah. no matter what, you always say yes. 
Yes. And I was nine years old at the time. And I did. I did my, my solo four minute act on skates with my mother being my assistant. And it's really good. It, it turned out really good. And, and it was very successful. I did that for two weeks and it, it was great. So that I consider my, my first uh, solo act when I was nine. But the first time that I and I did some TV shows or little shows that I would fly with my father or mother, perform and then go back with my parents wherever they would be working. Uh, but uh, touring alone, I was 19 when I toured alone for the first time. And what was that engagement? That was again with Kenneth Feld for the ice. It wasn't the ice follies. It was with Disney World on ice. And it was the European tour. And what, how old were you when you like, started working like uh, stage reviews? I know you've done a lot of great cabaret theaters in Europe. When was when did that start, that part of your career? Well, right after that, after I did the, the, the tour with the ice show, the following year, I, I started with the with the, the Rome Cali people in Germany doing Vienna, then Winter Garden, then Frederiksbau. And I was uh, 20, 21 when I started doing that. And you often get to work with a live band, which I'm very jealous of. How does that make you feel? How does that energy translate into your juggling? Oh, that changes everything, really. I love to perform with a live band because uh, I have a lot of moments where uh, the, the band and me, are they, we have to be together. Right. And with a drummer or or with the with the music and and so the juggling and the music must go together and it's so much fun, and and sometimes we play a lot so I can stop the 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 band whenever I want and they know me and I know them and and the audience feels that as well so working with a live band really is a big difference compared to to the to the tape music. And one of my one of my favorite of your appearances that I've seen only on uh, on video unfortunately is, is the rock and roll performance that you give at a rock and roll show you have the leather jacket and the slicked back hair do you enjoy when there's a different theme or you can work different music or are you someone who likes to work to the same music all the time oh no i love to evolve and change and whatever the the show demands i do it it feels like it comes naturally it doesn't matter what kind of music or what kind of style i remember in 2001 i did a really nice show in the winter garden in berlin and it was a 1920s show so all the music was 1920s with a 20-piece uh, uh, orchestra in the back playing those 1920s tunes. And th that was a lot of fun on, on one side. And then the rock and roll show again in the Winter Garden. We did that in, in later on in 2006. And that was fantastic with the 50s music, 60s music, all these old rock and roll tunes that has a lot of mo much more energy. And as you said, with the leather jacket and, and that style, that's a lot, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it seems to me like when I used to be a kid, I'd go to Vegas when I was like 17, 18. I would see Chris Cremo. I would see all the variety shows. And it seems like they all had live bands. And yes. And I remember that uh, the musicians went on strike and all the bands were replaced by click tracks, by, by pre-recorded music with maybe a drummer or something. Yes. And then the owners of the casinos realized that nothing had changed with their bottom line. <laughs> and so they, the musicians never came back. That's that's so bad. It's really sad because with the live band, it really changes everything. And speaking of a very different kind of costume and show, you also appeared in in Cirque du Soleil. That was Verakai. Is that the production? That's right. And you were dressed sort of like as um, I don't want to say it seemed to be like a sort of giant lizard kind of character. <laughs> yes. yes, I really didn't feel that comfortable wearing that costume, but that was the the character that I had to play. I also didn't feel very comfortable that I had to be just juggling most of the time because. I love I, I love to go on stage and enjoy the audience. So there's a lot of contact with the audience when I come on stage that I try to have with them. Um, and in that show, I said, no, you have to come running out, juggling, run, 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 juggle, 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 run, 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 juggle, 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 hmm. and then run out and then ran out. <laughs> right. But you were just sort of a, a, a I don't want to say a, a peg in their in their machine, but sort of a just a piece. Do this piece. That's it. Yes, it was. I did a four. Usually, my act is fifteen minutes, twenty minutes long, mm -hmm. but then I, I had to do four minutes of nonstop juggling, running on stage and running out. It went fine, but it's not my style. It's not what I felt comfortable doing. But it was a good experience. I, I can't deny that. And how is sort of the the Cirque du Soleil experience overall? I know it's changed a bit. I know uh, Victor Key. I think was was discussed. Uh, he mm -hmm. sort of left them because maybe there's been some cuts in the. In the way yes. they produce the shows. How was your personal experience with them? 
at that time when I did it in 2008, um, it was it was still good and the conditions were really good for the performers and for the all the situation surrounding the performer were, were fantastic. And also for the families. Luckily, Barakai was a is a production that has a lot of families. So when I came over, I had at that time two kids and not a problem at all. The Everything was perfect. But I did feel that I wish I could be more with my family as I'm used to here in other shows in Europe where I, I would have my family in the dressing room and, and that you cannot have in, in a Cirque du Soleil show, which is understandable. There's a lot of performers and right. if everyone would bring their families backstage, it would be chaos. Uh, so it's understandable that those rules. So if you're, if you're a single act, if, you're, if you don't have a family yet, I think Cirque du Soleil is the perfect place to be. But if, you're, if you have a big family, I don't think it's the best place if you want to be with your family most of the time, like in my case. <laughs> now, you don't seem to have worked many traditional circuits. Is that by choice or just something that sort of happened in your career? I think that's something that, that has happened because um, I have had offers to do tournees, but I usually... I'm already signed for winter shows in Germany or other places, which are really good contracts, uh, and I cannot say no to those. And so they would. I was not able to sign for a, for the for the circus tournée. And, and up to now, I remember with my parents, I did do a few as a kid, where my parents were doing the the tournée in Benavise or in Krone or in uh, Circus Scott in Sweden. But myself with or with my family, I haven't had the opportunity yet. But maybe that will change in the future. You never know. <laughs> and in some of your, your shows, I looked at your highlights video, in the, sort of these dinner theaters or these shows in the round, they require you to juggle on a very small stage. Oh, I love How that. How does that impact your, your abilities to perform? I remember the first time I did one of those uh, Spiegel cells, those mirror tents. I, I think the first one I did was in 2001. I was really scared because the audience is just right next to you. You can you can stretch to your right arm, touch the person, <laughs> and stretch to the other arm and touch the other person. So that felt really, wow, it's really scary. What if I hit someone? But then with the years, I found that I love to perform so close to the audience. I really enjoy having them that close. And it's exciting. Um, and since then, I've done very many of these uh, mirror tent shows. And yeah. It's a lot of fun. I love it. Well, I love where you go out in the audience with the hats. I mean, you have the boomerang hats, which even if you were to hit someone, obviously would not be touch a bad thing. How, when, when did you start doing that? Because I think that's a very effective, uh, wonderful piece of your show. That's one of my favorites as well, because I, I, that's when I have most of the contact with the audience, because that's, I really get to touch them, because <laughs> I'm on top of them. I mean, you're on top of them. I've never seen that kind of like control basically while you're walking through the audience. Yes, I can sit on laps, I can <laughs> hug people, and I, I'm still trying to juggle at the same time. Luckily, though, the hats are, are light, so not a problem. <laughs> now, are these, I mean, I don't want to have you give away uh, trade secrets, but are these hats that someone could could purchase hats like those? They're, they're called boomerang hats, correct? Well, I don't know if you call them boomerang hats or Mexican hats. I think you can use both terms. Uh, but yeah, I bought mine in Mexico. Uh, that was many years ago in the late 90s. And when I got the ones that I really liked, these are handmade straw hats, but they're not straw, plastic straw, which is much better because my father used to use the normal straw and they used to break so much. I remember my father, he used to juggle with the straw hats. And after two or three months, he had to, because they, they once you grab them, you start grabbing them. Right, right. When you throw them, they, they start to crack. Yeah, I can see that. They're kind of brittle. Yeah. So the, the straw starts to crack. And so my father had to put glue gun, you know, that hot yeah, glue. The hot glue. And that was terrible because <laughs> once you start putting a lot of hot glue, the hat becomes heavy. And you throw the boomerang hat and they won't come back because it's a heavy piece of a hat <laughs> that doesn't come back. And what, what uh, great jellies do you remember as you were coming up? Because you go back to like 1980 or so. Who impressed you as you were as throughout your career? Who did you look up to as far as you I said to you, I said to many people, you're one of my juggling idols. That's without a, without a doubt for me. Who, who do you look up to as you were coming up that you thought, oh, I really like this person's juggling? Well, I re always remember when I was a little boy, Chris Cremo, when I was six. And that was very uh, an inspiration. But what really got me to, to train hard uh, five, six, and up to eight hours a day when I was, when I was a teenager was Anthony Gatto and, and Ignatov. When I saw the, those two jugglers uh, as a boy on video, I was so, so impressed. I said, oh, my God, that's amazing. I want to I wanna try to do things 
that they can do. And that's those were my two biggest inspirations when I was a little boy and growing up as a teenager. Yeah, I've always thought that that Gatto was the greatest technical juggler who's mm -hmm. ever lived. That his ability to have the high technique in the most difficult of demanding situations. Like I saw a clip of you from that Cabaret du Monde, the, the show, the TV show in Paris. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when I see a juggler performing, for me, the ability to perform under pressure as a juggler is such a, a key attribute in my opinion of what makes a great juggler. Like nowadays we have lots of jugglers who make great videos and have wonderful skills, mm -hmm. but that consistency necessary to perform at the highest level year after year, show after show, with the abilities of a Gatto or an Ignatov, to me, are the highest level of technical achievement in juggling. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, I think that to, to do that, you, you, you have to practice. And personally, my situation is that when I go on stage, I try not to think of the juggling. If I start thinking about the juggling, I might get nervous. I might get right. more drops than I usually would. Not to think about it. Think of entertaining. You're there to entertain. The audience that's watching you is not there to see how many numbers or difficult tricks you're going to do. They want to be entertained. And that's my motivation to be on stage. And, and then smoothly or naturally, the tricks come in. They, they come in every night. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have a career if I had to depend purely on my, my technical abilities. I, I, have to, I have to lean on my clever, you know, my witty and my sort of weird skills. So. Oh, but that's your gift, Dan. You're fantastic with that. <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey, but it's all about entertainment, right? It's all about uh, connecting with the crowd. But you do work at a very high technical level. And I know, I think, with Gato and Ignatov, it took a toll on their bodies, like all that practice. Yes. Do you feel as if it's taken a toll on you? Do you feel you have any, any injuries or, or aches and pains because of your juggling? Well, I'm, I, I'm, st I'm starting to, to get scared now and say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older now. I'm over 40 now. So maybe I'm going to start to get those pains that everybody gets. Thank God, n not yet. I have, I have no pains. I, my, my arms, my hands, my legs, everything feels good. I still play soccer whenever I can. I, I feel I'm, I'm really fit so far. I don't know how long that's going to last, but I'm really happy that I feel so good so far. So I, I thank God. <laughs> good. And what type, of, what type of clubs are you using? Are they fairly light? What, do you have a particular brand you like? They're very light. It's funny. I, I've mentioned this to so many jugglers, and they always laugh when I tell them because I used to use, when I was a little boy, my father had these um, self-made clubs. Well, he didn't make them, but there was a person in Argentina who made these clubs. But my father's clubs were so heavy. It was all wood, wooden handles, completely wooden handles. And uh, the top part was made out of, what, what's that called? Um, the wire, sorry, wire. Like a wire mesh? Exactly, a wire mesh covered by newspaper. Well, that sounds awful. <laughs> Terrible, yeah. So it's not, it could bend and it's heavy and it's horrible. <laughs> right, right. But those were the clouds of my father. He later did a, a variation of that to me, but I didn't enjoy that. I said, no, I really, because if I break these clubs and I get used to them, what am I going to do? I should buy clubs that, I should get clubs or get used to clubs that I could buy anywhere. Smart. So in 94, when I was working at the Frederiksberg in Stuttgart with my old clubs, <laughs> I said, wait a minute, I'm going to go to the jogging store and check some clubs out. And I bought uh, the lightest ones, which are the complete, the plastic, it's just White plastic. Sure, the one-piece, like, air flight clubs. That's right. Just that. They were the cheapest one. It was like 2 or $3 at the time each. And I said, okay, well, give me 27 I don't know why I said 27 <laughs> of them. Were you, were you just really ambitious or you wanted some spares? I just, I spares, spares. I said 27 of them. Right. And you know, you know, Dan, I'm still using those same clubs now from that pack of 27 from 94. Did you just put, like, silver miler on them? or what? Yeah, the... Exactly. And, and they don't break because... No matter how hard you throw them on the floor, it's those plastic clubs, they never break. It's funny. I was talking to someone the other day. They say the biggest problem with juggling and why it's not more successful is because once a juggler buys his props, he never needs to buy another set of props, really. Uh-huh. And they never wear out, you know, so it's, it's not a good industry to, like, keep selling people more of the same thing. Well, I thought that the ones that had the wood in the middle, they would break more easily. Because I remember some jugglers, they, they always had that they split the, the wood in the middle. Yeah, you used to have a, a wooden dowel running down the middle. I don't think many of the modern styles ha go with the dowel anymore. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. Well, yeah, that's, those are the ones I'm still using, and I'm comfortable, 
very comfortable with that. <laughs> I like very light props myself. It really surprised me when uh, I picked up Chris Cremo's cigar boxes, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, but, oh, they're so light. Now I see how they can get them so lined up perfectly and how they appear to to float. Yeah. So I'm also a, a fellow who really likes a very light. I think it's better for your body as well because when, when you have heavy clubs, it's not good for your fingers or for your wrists, for your forearms. I think uh, the, with, with time, with a lot of practice and with time, that would af will affect you, I think. So it's better to have it light. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's no, you, I think one of the keys is to make it easy as yourself, on yourself as possible. So use the props and make, sometimes you, you'll do a trick. At least I've had this experience where I'll be working on a trick and I switch the props. Maybe I try a different club. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm doing a much longer run of that trick. I'm like, oh, it's easier because I changed the props. And so I'm always trying to make it easier for myself. Oh, that's smart. Yeah, that's good. And also I think it's good to, to change and adapt as your career goes on. I saw many great jugglers who it appeared to me as if they became less of what they were. Like they had a really great act, a very high quality, and they tried to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. but, just, but they became a lesser version of, of what they were used to do. And for you, for you, I see that you're also bringing in things like this ping pong ball sitting routine mm -hmm. where you're bringing in more comedy. Do you like adding comedy? Is that a, is that a direction you see yourself going in? I think so. Yes, I think that uh, because there's just those little gags that when you're performing every night on a nightly basis and you start hearing what people are laughing at when you're performing, you, you try to take advantage of that and use it more and more and more. I think that's, that, that's one of the things that have evolved uh, in my act very much. So there's a lot of uh, comedy and a lot of um, uh, audience, not participation, but connection. There's a lot of connection with the audience. I don't use a mic. I don't talk in my act loud, but I do talk to the audience that's next to the stage. And that's also fun. I, and I see the reaction with the audience that people give me a good reaction to that. It's funny because I use that word a lot when I coach, connection. That's important to connect. Like when, when you juggle, obviously a lot of your focus has to be on the pattern. So your eyes and the way you're looking has to be very much directed towards either upwards or whatever, obviously whatever you're doing. But there's moments where you can connect, where you can look at the crowd, mm -hmm. where you can make that, that I'm here, you're here sort of thing, that live experience, to me it's so important. Oh, it is. It is. And also for the audience, because they, they love to see a show, but they also want to be, um, they, they also want to know that, that they're there for you as well. So it, it's not like the audience is watching a video or a movie in the cinema. They're watching a live performer. So if the live performer is there and stares at them, they, say, oh, they, know, they know I'm here. Right. They react to that. So it's good. You performed in front of some, some huge audiences and one that was especially impressive. I, I think my largest crowd was was 14,000 at the New Orleans Superdome for a, a big corporate event. Wow. But, you, but one of your shows kind of dwarfs that because you performed in front of a crowd of 700,000, and that was for World Youth Day. And you also had a very special member in your audience, a very special person. You performed in front of the Pope. That's right. Those 700,000 young people that were there, they didn't come to see me. They came to see the Pope, and it was, <laughs> it was a beautiful uh, moment for us to be there on stage and perform for the Pope and those 700,000. Amazing because you know what happened? We had two days rehearsal in this very giant open field. And I, they said, could you do the hats and some torches? And I said, okay, torches were no problem. But when I tried to, to throw the boomerang hats, the, the hat would fly away really far because of the wind. There was so much wind at that place because it's such an open field. To, they said, well, it's an open field to, to, to lodge one million people. So you can imagine, and they told me, we've been building this place for weeks and weeks, and we always had a lot of wind in the evening. And okay, so I went two days before for rehearsal, I couldn't do one hat. Next day for rehearsal, I couldn't do one hat. And I said, oh my God. And I said, God, you do miracles. I really need a miracle. And, and it happened that evening at, at eight o'clock, the flags just suddenly stopped. And at nine o'clock, when I had to, to perform in front of the Pope, I could do the hats for the first time. And there was no wind. So I guess it's clear to say that, that God is a juggling fan. <laughs> if you trust him, he's always there for you. <laughs> great. That's a great sentiment. I know it's also very important for you to uh, always add social service performances to, to what you, the contracts you're doing. Why is it so important for you to give back? And how long have you felt this need to, to connect with different communities and, and share your talents in this way? I guess it started in 95 when, when I stopped a, a year as a 
in, as a professional juggler to give a year as a lay missionary for a whole year. And that year, I didn't know if I would, I said, okay, I'm going to try. I feel that God has given me so much in my life with my family and everything I have. I'm going to try to give a year as a volunteer year for, for God and the church and to help people in social service. But I said, okay, I'll do this year. But I didn't know if, it's, if it was going to work out. And as the months passed by and I finished that year, I realized at that moment that that was the happiest year in my life. Because during that year, I was thinking of others instead of me trying to be there for others and not only for me. I guess up to that point, I was uh, being very selfish uh, in many of, of my in many aspects of my life. And that wasn't fulfilling me. And during that year, thinking of others, trying to help others, seeing what I could do for others was really fulfilling me. And I said, wow, this is beautiful. So I went back to show business after that year, but with a whole new view, I said, okay, I'm in show business, but I don't want to be here selfishly just for myself. If I have the time, if, the, if I have the opportunity, I want to share my, uh, my gift as a juggler or whatever I can do for others. And since then, since 96, every time I have free time or if they call me to do social work or if I'm able to find where I could help, I'm always there. And it's been very fulfilling. And it was through that that I met my wife. Um, I was asked to go to Mexico for two weeks, and that's where, my, where I met my wife. My wife is from Brazil, and she was there also giving a year for social work for the church. And uh, it has been beautiful because she had these same sentiments as me, and we have built our love, we have built our family with that. And since then, it's been very beautiful. Now we have four children, and everything is going so beautifully well. And I have to thank God for that. And I, I've seen pictures of your of your kids and your wife, and you have a, a beautiful family, a very, very warm and loving family. You can tell by the pictures. And I, I congratulate you on that. It's you know, uh, our oldest boy, he's 10 right now. He was born in Berlin. The next one, uh, he's eight years old. He was born in Amsterdam when we were with Cirque du Soleil. And uh, the seven-year-old girl, she was born in Lisbon when we were performing at the Casino in Estoril. And now we have our first Spanish boy born here when we're performing in this show here in Spain. <laughs> that's a true showbiz family, right? That's, that's showbiz yeah. right there. Yes, one from each country. <laughs> and now when your kids, they're starting as performers, what lessons do you pass down to them? Is there anything, any tips you've told them that maybe you can share with us that you, that you feel kind of sum up a bit about your performing philosophy? Yes. Uh, for me, it's very important that we do train two hours, two hours and a half uh, every day. Every, uh, three or four days a week we all go together to the to the theater and we practice and it's and it's a hard practice uh, there's a lot of discipline I said oh okay guys you have to practice uh, this is not no playing time I, I'd rather you practice in silence try to do your best we all practice in in our different routines and it's hard they sweat and 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 they find that it's hard but then they they're performing right now every Saturday in front of audience and once we go go on stage on saturday and perform in the circus i said okay guys remember what we all practiced during these days that's all in the past now we're going to go have fun on stage right. this is the moment we're going to enjoy all that we practiced and now if we have jobs we don't have jobs that doesn't matter we're here to entertain to have fun with the audience and you should see how these kids they really love to perform they go on stage and people are they always tell me, oh, my goodness, your kids are so happy on stage. They look amazing. And plus, they're doing really good juggling as well. And uh, and they're getting a lot of success. So I'm very proud of them. <laughs> well, I like the way you took the pressure off the drops. Like if you went out there and said, okay, kids, if you drop, I will be very angry and, and really make it no. seem as if that's the most important yeah. thing. Yeah. In practice, I said, when we practice, no, you got to, you don't have to drop. You have to be perfect. You have to practice. We're here to practice. We're here to train to become the best we can. But then on stage, that's a whole nother story. On stage, we, we're there to entertain. Um, we happen to juggle and juggle good, but that, that's not the main focus. The main focus is to entertain. <laughs> now, you said you practice three or four days a week with the kids. Do you think it's important to build in days off? I mean, is it something where you like practice one day, take a day off? Or how do you feel you want to structure it throughout the week? Well, because we're performing five days a week here. So we practice the first two days of shows that I have. They, they perform on Saturdays, but... Uh, in the theater show, I perform from Tuesday to, to Saturday. So Tuesday and Wednesday, we practice. Thursday, we get a day off. So it's maybe to rest the muscles, to get our mind away from the, from the uh, juggling. And then on Friday and, and Saturday, we practice again 
I don't know. That's the routine that I, I, I'm trying to do with my kids. I remember that as, as a little boy, I did something like that. But then as a teenager, I used to practice five, uh, six days a week. <laughs> right. And you said you sometimes practice as much as five to eight hours a day? Yes, I did that as a teenager. And then when I, even when I was performing, the longest hours I practiced was in 94 in the Frederiksbau when, when I was performing. I, I woke up in the morning and I went directly to the theater, did three hours of practice, had lunch in the theater, did another uh, four hours of practice before the show, and then I warmed up for the show. <laughs> so, so for the, my listeners, <sighs> if you want to be of the quality of a Paul Ponce, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of effort it takes. Three hours, then a break, then four hours, and then a warm-up, and then a show. I remember one time I was in Atlantic City, and uh, Albert Lucas was working uh, in mm -hmm. the same same time. And then one night, we, we had finished our show, and we went to meet Albert after his show. Yes. He, he did two shows, then he left that night for a 50-mile joggle. Oh, wow. He was going to joggle. He was going to run and juggle for 50 over, overnight. Oh my goodness! He, he jumped wow. fifty miles, and then the very next day, he took a break, did two more shows that night as well. Oh goodness! And wow! I thought, you know, you see, you see the sort of the athletic ability of the top jugglers, and when you're training that hard, do you have also a, a physical regime that you do as well, like exercises or stretches? Back then in '94, I was 21, and I was just juggling, no uh, stretching, no exercise at all, just juggling. Now I'm doing much more of exercise, exercising. Um, I don't go to the gym, but I do a lot of gymnastics or stretching and, and just uh, jogging as well or swimming to try to keep fit. And that's, that's very important before the practice for me personally. Do you feel that like weightlifting or things like that are, are counterproductive? Like you don't want to get too like tight in the muscles? Do you think like swimming and activities like that are, are better for jugglers? Personally, that's what works for me. But uh, I heard from Anthony. He told me that weightlifting really helped him uh, to practice as well. Gave him more strength right. to juggle and more uh, stamina. I think we have a little bit different style. He, 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 has, he needs a stamina to hold those numbers sure. up. And I, I try to be a little bit more fast. Yeah, I think when you're, when you're putting up like a nine ring type of trick or, or the, the strength required or seven clubs. I mean, your club work is exceptional. What do you consider sort of the hardest thing for you? Are there any tricks that you approach like, this is the one I have to practice on the most because I find it the most difficult? Well, the, the thing that I practice the most, um, and it seems like I always need to practice, are the six hats. Um, I've been doing the six hats in my routine for the past, say, 15 years, I think, or 12 years. And ever since I did put it in my routine, and now I keep practicing almost as, as much. So it means that it really takes a lot of effort, a lot of practice, but it's fun. Once you get those hats uh, flying, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> now you're saying, you're saying six hats. So you're throwing them out like in a big shower pattern? Shower pattern, and, and one, also they go on my head and off my head. So it's... Though the six hats are flying around me, and also I'm grabbing them, putting them on my head, taking it off the other hand, and then throw it again. So it's like a big shower. Is that a, a record? I mean, I think I've seen five before, but six seems pretty, uh, pretty extreme. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know about records, but it, it's hard to do. I, I, that's what I know. <laughs> now, what what jugglers inspire you? Is there anybody you look at now who's a, a contemporary who you look at as someone that pushes you to keep keep working on your act as well? Well, when I was a kid, it's always been the, the those jugglers that always pushed me to practice a lot, which was Anthony Gatto and Sergei Ignatov. And then when I when I got to see videos uh, through Karl-Heinz Seaton of Francis Brun, I was also so impressed about his personality, his speed, and his amazing tricks. Those were the very big inspirations. Also, as a child, uh, I saw performing Chris Cremo a few times, and my parents had a very good relationship and friendship with him since I was a little boy. And that also helped me a lot to see what great personalities can do on stage. Those were my inspirations as a kid. And now I love to see all jugglers because every time I see a juggler on stage, I, I know and I appreciate that it's, it's not an easy moment to be on stage juggling because I know it for myself. So I really appreciate every, every type of juggling act that I see. And favorites of mine, well, 
I still love Chris, uh, Chris's work. He's fantastic, Chris Cremo. And uh, until Anthony Gatto left uh, the scene, I love to watch him perform live. I think I saw him the last time in 2006 in Portugal before he left to the Cirque du Soleil. And, or was it 2007? End of 2006, beginning of 2007. And I love Mario Berusek, Claudius, Tuan Lee, all these great jugglers, which are my contemporaries. It's fantastic to see them as well. What do you mean? Do you mean Claudia Speck? Yes. Yes, he does mostly club juggling. Yeah. He's also quite good with the shaker cups. Is that a, is that a prop that you've ever tried? I've never tried that, but I enjoy watching it. I remember um, Rudy Cardenas doing that as well when I was a little boy. I saw a great show when I was young. Uh, we went to the Scala Barcelona to, to watch a show uh, with my parents. And in the same show, they had Bob Branson and Rudy Cardenas. In that same show, which only they only have uh, three, three guest uh, acts. So could you imagine from three guest acts, two of them were great jugglers. <laughs> I never got to see Bob Branson. I saw Rudy Cardenas, but that was one of my regrets. He, he retired at an IGA convention Oh, many years ago, I think that was Rapid City, but I never got to see him perform. He's one of my favorite performers. Talk about a, a great personality. Oh, fantastic. And those amazing tricks, it was so original. I, I loved his act. Yeah, I think one of the most impressive to me was uh, Chris Cremo. I saw him, uh, I think he was in the Lido, Lido de Paris at the Stardust Hotel, I believe. Uh, he was mm -hmm. there for many years. And I saw him, I think I was maybe 17 or 18 years old. And what impressed me was how much the audience liked him. Like, obviously, yeah. as a juggler, I liked him. But to see that response he got, the way he worked the music, uh, the way his personality connected with the crowd was really, really uh, amazing. So Yeah, I think that's so important. I love to see technical jugglers and all modern-type jugglers, but I also get a lot of big inspirations to see how, how some of the other, other jugglers uh, maybe not doing such great tricks, but... Uh, connecting and making the audience enjoy themselves so much that really is fantastic and there's also sort of a new sort of video style are you aware of sort of the more flow techniques that are coming into juggling now that are sort of more inspired by contact juggling and poi and hoop work are you aware of that kind of juggling as well i've seen some of it and i find it i find it amazing i also loved how uh, juggling has evolved in that way and that and with the clubs just rolling around your body or just flipping it in different ways, which was not so common in, in <laughs> not at all. just a yeah. decades ago. So it's fantastic how all these new movements have, have come now. I, I enjoy that. And where do you see going with your juggling in the future? Are there still things you want to accomplish with it, still stunts that you see as achievable for you? Well, I don't know technically, um, but I really love performing. And since I am a juggler, uh, I think juggling will always be a part of me on stage. I think I, I would love to be on stage forever as much as I can. And I, I see that um, my experience on stage and, and the way I work now, the crowds and the audience, it really feels so comfortable. And it, it, I'm having a lot of success with that. Surely juggling at the same time, but I don't know if I would keep juggling, I don't know how much my body will allow me to, to continue doing my, my act as I'm doing now. I will try as long as I can, but if it evolves into uh, other types of entertainment, but me being on stage, I will definitely keep doing that. Yeah, I can see you taking more of the hosting role, being the, the empresario of a show. I think you have the, the personality to pull something like that off. I, I don't know. I, I guess that wherever the director or producer of a show would like me to be on stage, I'm very happy to do it. I do have a lot of fun on stage no matter where they put me. So there have been shows where I have been a, a character that goes all through the show from beginning to end, which is hard at some points, juggling, of course, but it is a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to interact with the audience or with the other uh, artists on stage. So I'm, I'm always very, very versatile and very open to whatever the, the directors would like me to do on stage. Well, that's a, the sign of a real professional. I mean, that's and as far as your, your career moving forward, uh, how much are you booked going up in, into the future? Do you have long term engagements moving forward now? Uh, actually, yes. At this moment right now, we are doing this show at the Benidorm Palace until April next year, April 2017. And they are so happy with the, with the show and how it's going, my show, 
that they've asked me if I can come back not this coming year because they've already booked the acts but for the following year. Uh, so that means that for from April 2018 until April 2019, I will be back here at the Benidorm Palace, which I'm very happy to do again. Perfect. I mean, nice to have these long-term engagements. You have your entire family with you. You can kind of, do you get what settled into a, your own place that you rent? Like, or do they put you up some in some kind of uh, they put us up in, in this this beautiful community where they have these little um, houses inside the community. We have a, a a nice little house with garden and everything, and we're staying here. The whole family, my four children, my wife and me, and they said that, that we'll have the same place. Plus, um, I'm really excited because uh, for 2018 and 19, uh, they said that they want to also, and it seems like it's going to happen book my mother with her crossbow act mm. so it's going to be fantastic with being with my mother and my children all together in the same <laughs> show <laughs> it's going to be great yeah it sounds like a, like a fantasy gig it is yes my mother she's now performing for over a year in israel at the Eilat show and she says oh i miss you guys so much it's great it's a great show i'm very happy performing here nightly but i really miss you guys and miss your baby that has just been born my my baby right now is only uh two and a half months so she's really excited to be together with us all in for a, a, at least a complete year. Well, congratulations on the on the new addition to your family. You, you have such a beautiful family, and it's so so wonderful that your your family and show business goes back so many generations. Uh, it is it is a blessing. I'm so happy, and and I'm very thankful to God for 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 my family, for my children, who are also practicing every day. Uh, my the three eldest, which are ten eight and seven presently they they practice with me every time i go into the theater and that's a lot of fun too and what kind of things have they accomplished so far Are any of them juggling five balls yet or, or what what's their level well pablo 10 he's juggling very good five balls very low very fast i i guess that's the the way we like to do it sure so everything is very fast and with the balls the five balls four balls three balls routines are quite good with pablo they're doing really nice hat routines they're juggling hats the three of them not only themselves, but together, passing the hats nice. in a cool way, and and the balls as well, um, stealing the balls from each other while juggling, and it's cute because they're so small. They've been performing every Saturday at the Benidorm Circus and getting a, a huge success. <laughs> well, that's that's great. Yeah, so if you could have a, a show with the entire family, a, a year's contract in a beautiful spot, you're living the uh, the juggler's dream, my friend. The juggler's dream. We we are, and we thank God for that because we say it's it could be great today. We never know how it could be tomorrow. You never know what can happen in the future. So so be happy and enjoy what you have today, which is so important. And I'm sure you've made many friends among the the show business community. Do you have other show folk, maybe not jugglers, who you consider to be good friends? Here in Benidorm, you mean, or or just around the world? Well, just that you've met in your travels, other performers that you think are. Maybe not jugglers, but are of really high quality as people and as performers that you really uh, enjoyed meeting. Oh, we meet so many people. It's so true. Going into different shows and and going into traveling in different countries, it's true. You get to meet so many other entertainers, and I find that it's so important to to be with with every single performer, just to live socially with them and to experience the, this beautiful experience of traveling and and living in different countries with them, and. It's true, we have had just so, so many beautiful friendships. What is sad is that you have, always have to leave, right? You leave <laughs> and you, one contract ends and you go into another contract where you probably will meet other people that you might have worked with before as, as well. <laughs> so that's what's amazing when you go into other new contracts and you meet friends which you haven't seen in a few years, sometimes a decade, and you get to meet with them again. And since I've been doing that as a kid, because my parents were traveling as well, I guess I'm so used to saying goodbye, but not in a sad way. I'm always saying goodbye with a happy uh, smile on my face, knowing that I will see you again for sure in another show in another country, because that's that has been the way I, I grew up as a kid. And so I guess all, all of my friendships are this way. I'm very happy to, to be with people in a show, um, have great friends there, and then I'm excited to see them again somewhere up on the road. Well, it's an interesting way to see the world, isn't it? To sort of go places to work and with a group of people that are sort of in the like-minded pursuit of, of putting on a show and that you're, you're all contemporaries no matter your age or your your race or sex or you know what you do as a performer 
you're all contemporaries in show business and to bring your show and your talents to different places in the world yeah. and to share them with these equally minded, wonderful people. It's, it's one of the great joys of being a traveling performer. True, true, Dan. And you know what I find uh, lately, the past years or decades, is that most of the entertainers um, who are traveling a lot and who are very successful, they're very open to, to being with everybody. It's so beautiful because they're so easy to get along with. Everybody just wants the best for everybody. There's no bad talk or behind your backs or, or uh, jealousies. I don't know. It just seems that everybody gets along so well everywhere we go. I'm, I'm, I really thank God for that because it's amazing to be able to, to live in such a peaceful uh, manner around all these different shows. Well, I think, like you say, you, you're in a lot of different situations and you don't want to be the odd person out. Like you don't want to be the one person at the gig where everyone's like, oh, everybody's cool except for that one guy. Yes. Because yeah. then you don't, I don't think you last that long. I think people, the situations are sometimes so stressful or chaotic. Like I was telling you yeah. about this job in China I just finished where things were changing like on a daily level. <laughs> yes. Where the producer didn't need any more static from the performers. We had to kind of form like a united group. Yes. Just to just do our thing and all at least all get along together, and sort of this not us against the management, but you know how it is. At least all the performers have to be able to get along. Yeah, and try to do their best for the situation because you never know what's going to happen. You never know if the things are going to go as you want or things are as easy as they're supposed to be, uh, or the reaction of the audience. You never know. So it's if you can make the best of it with your fellow artists, uh, I think it's it's such a smoother run. Well, like on this gig, they, they wanted us to share rooms. So they, like, even with a stranger, like, so I get there as a solo performer and I'm expected to share a room with another performer who I haven't met before. So that could be kind of awkward. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. So, but luckily the person they put me together with turned out to be just a super cool guy, very talented. So it was easy for me to appreciate him as both a person as an, and as an artist. Okay. Wow. And since he was working silently, like with no no speaking, for me there was a lot to learn because, like like you know, the art of sort of silent communication with an audience, without being able to speak to them, especially while you're juggling at the same time, but to still make that connection with your personality, without the ability to speak, is yeah. is a really interesting skill, and it's definitely one I learned much better by being around all these other great sort of silent performers. So, uh, so you, like you said, you can learn a lot from the other performers, and if you kind of have the attitude of getting along and, and doing the best job together, it's a wonderful team kind of family experience. It is. You do become like a family in the shows. That's so true. It's so true. Well, you have another family, of course. You have the family of jugglers, and you know how I feel about you as a, as a performer and a person, and uh, I know I've extended an invitation to you before to be a special guest in, in our festival coming up in 2017 in, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And so yes. hopefully we'll be able to, to make that a, a reality next year. I hope so too. I have written that down in my calendar and it's there. And hopefully if, if everything goes well, I will be there very happily. Well, like I say, I've said many times, as far as an example of professionalism, of excellence, as both a juggler and a person, I really recommend that my listeners to follow the career of Paul Ponce because to me, there's no greater juggling professional that you're at the level of the Cremos and the Tuan Lees as just the, the top of the game right now. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be on, on the podcast with me. Oh, I'm very happy. I love your podcast. I've been listening to them recently and they're a lot of fun and you learn so much from them. <laughs> Well, good. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, the people who do listen, I don't get that many comments or, or much feedback, but uh, I do them here with my wife. And, you know, just for me to be able to to talk to jugglers. And of course, there's some I'd love to reach out to, Chris Cremo. So if you happen to have any connection with Chris and can drop him a line, then I'd love to have him on his show. I want to get uh, Dieter Tasso. So I'm going to try to get him uh, fairly soon. If any listeners have people they want to hear, I would be glad to to honor that those requests. But up till then, I'm going to do my favorites. And of course, my favorites include the great Paul Ponce. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. God bless. That was episode number 37. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Paul Ponce. I know I did. I think he's a great guy, great juggler, great family man. 
just an all-around decent fella. Come on, give it up for Paul Ponce by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating. Not for me, but for Paul. Do it for Paul. All right, let's also do some other things. Let's thank our main sponsor, the IJA, by going to juggle.org, finding out more about this great group of jugglers, including when they'll all get together next year, July 10th through 16th, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, for the big yearly festival. Let's thank me, Dan Holzman, if you like this podcast, by going to my website, braindrizzles.com, for all your personal coaching and comedy writing needs. All right, enough post-amble. Go out there and drop everything, except when you're juggling.